Hello and welcome to H2 Orthopedics. My name is Mike Begg. I'm a certified physician assistant, a certified athletic trainer. I have a doctorate degree in medical science and over 30 years of experience in sports medicine, orthopedics, and medical education. My goal is to take your orthopedic diagnosis or injury and help you make sense of it. Welcome to H2 Orthopedics. All right, today's version of this uh, podcast can be a little different than what we've done in the past. Um, if you've been listening from the beginning, you can see I'm kind of verging off in different directions here. Uh, but this is, uh, I think, a, an interesting and important topic to talk about. Uh, we had a uh, high school um, senior uh, student who was interested in medicine uh, come hang out with us for a day or two. And uh, they had some questions about the whole process of surgery. And uh, I think they were a little bit I don't want to say overwhelmed, but impressed with how many steps and how much it takes to get someone from the time where they make a decision to have a surgical procedure uh, to actually get into the operating room, get the procedure done, and then uh, off to the recovery side of things. So uh, that kind of spurred a little thought in my mind. Hey, there's there's probably a lot of questions about this from a patient standpoint, uh, from, say, uh, uh, support staff athletic training, uh, you know, some working in athletic trainings in that clinical setting, uh, new PAs. Um, really the whole the whole group of people, whole team, everyone that's involved from the patient to the treatment team, uh, you know, needs to know what each each other is doing in the whole process. So I'm going to review that, and, and hopefully this is uh, not boring, <laughs> um, it, but it is an interesting process. I never thought about it. I've been doing this for a long time, and I never really stopped to think about how complex this whole system really is. It does take a lot of effort, and a lot of people uh, are involved to get one person from you know, from point A to point Z, if you will. So let's go through that uh, kind of process. So let's just take any scenario that we've had in the past and you've elected as a patient or your patient, if you're the treatment side of things, has elected to go forth with surgery. So uh, first thing we need to do is kind of, you know, communicate with the whole system that this is going to happen. So I'll just give you an example. Um, And this is really for 30 years now, it's been pretty much the same no matter where I've been working, where we fill out an author, a, a surgical authorization form or a scheduling sheet, we would call it. Let's just say, uh, you know, you know, patient uh, Joe Johnson wants to have his ACL reconstructed. Uh, so we'll fill out the necessary information and we send it off to an authorization team, either within our, our office itself or someone we've contracted with. They take that information, they take the notes from the visits that led up to that decision, and they contact their insurance company to see if this case is authorized you know, through their plan or through their program uh, that they have set up with insurance. Sometimes this is derailed, so they get the information and um, the insurance side of the, the equation says, no, we're not going to authorize this. We need to talk to someone on the team and hear the explanation and hear the decision-making or the thought process that led you to this decision. So that's called a peer-to-peer review. And uh, physician assistants do a lot of peer-to-peers. I do a lot of peer-to-peers, especially now compared to 10 years ago. I do a lot more now. I uh, don't know why exactly. We can blame either side. I'm not you know, not going to do that. It's just the way it is. So I talked to a lot of insurance company contracted physicians. Some of them are orthopedic surgeons, some of them are not. And I'm talking about orthopedic problems. So that creates a problem in and of itself. Uh, but we talked to the, to the, to the um, other side. We talked to the insurance side and say, all right, here's what uh, Joe presented with. 
Uh, here's the MRI findings. Here are the x-ray findings. Here are the physical exam findings. Here's the decision-making based on who this patient is and what the goals are. And I'll just say quite honestly, most of the time, these surgeries get pushed through. There are some caveats. Um, a lot of times patients are required to do six weeks of physical therapy prior to surgical intervention. They're required to have failed conservative measures before moving on to surgical measures. Totally get it, but it doesn't apply to every scenario, and that's where it becomes a little bit frustrating for the patient and for the surgical team because we know what's going on. We're there hands-on, you know, real-time where the insurance companies, uh, for lack of a better term, are just checking a box. Um, but we get to say we get this authorized. Then the surgery scheduling team contacts the patient. Uh, they look at the schedule and say, all right, Dr. You know, X is in the operating room. Um, on these days, he has an opening for this amount of time that they've allotted or asked us to allot for your case. Let's let, you know, put you in there next Tuesday. Everyone agrees with that. Boom, we're good to go. From that point on, the surgical team becomes involved again, and we talk to the patient about um, what medications are you on? What medications do you need to stop preoperatively? There are some medications that we don't want you to take. For instance, things that you know, would thin your blood or make you bleed. So if you have a, uh, a cardiac issue, say you have an arrhythmia and you're on a blood thinner, we may say stop your blood thinner you know, two or three days prior to surgery. We would uh, communicate or have you communicate uh, with your prescribing physician, your cardiologist or your primary care physician, whoever it might be in that case. But we would communicate with them and say, look, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we wish for. What do you think? What are the risk profiles if this person goes off of his blood thinner? Sometimes they say, no way. It's too risky. That then may change where we do surgery. Surgical center, like an outpatient surgery center, versus a hospital where we have uh, you know, a full staff of cardiologists and internal medicine docs and you know, different support staff if we need them. So again, it gets a little more complicated as we get into this. So we review medications, we review past surgical procedures, we review any issues with uh, anesthesia in the past, any allergies to any medications that we may be using. So it's a big review. Um, we could have you come back in and do a preoperative, uh, what we call history and physical exam. I'm a big believer in that. I think it's good to sit down with patients, talk to them, explain in detail what, you're, what you've signed up for. So you know from you know, day one, before we even go to the operating room, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. This is why we're going to do it. And this is what you can expect on the backside. In current world, um, I'll just tell you the insurance doesn't pay for those preoperative visits. Um, it falls into what we call the global period. The day you decide to have surgery starts your global period. Um, they don't pay for visits for usually 90 days uh, from the day of surgery, but we go, they go back to that decision date uh, so we can see you for a pre-op visit. And it may take 45 minutes. It may take a long time, but they're not going to pay the provider for that, which is unfortunate because I believe it's an important visit. And now financially, sometimes the, the treating physician's team decides that's not valuable. Maybe we have to have a phone call. Maybe they you know, put someone else in charge of that. So again, current medicine is not ideal. Uh, but preoperatively review all these different things. If it's an orthopedic problem, we may get you fit for your brace. We may get you fit for your sling. We may you know, try to, to get you set up for therapy. Physical therapy afterwards, a key component to success in orthopedics. They're busy people. So we would try to say, look, pick your therapist, make an appointment. It may be two weeks. It may be you know, two days. It may be six weeks. Maybe whatever after the surgery. But we want you to be able to walk right in there and keep this ball rolling for recovery postoperatively. So we get that set up for them. We haven't even talked, we haven't got to the operating room yet. So all of this is going on behind the scenes or real time before you get to the operating room. So we've authorized, we've scheduled, we've had your pre-op visit, we review everything, you're good to go. And then you're going to get a call. And this is super frustrating for the patient 
Um, usually the afternoon, I'm going to say three o'clock or later, the afternoon before the procedure is when you will get this call. Patients don't understand, why can't you just tell me when I'm going to be there? I'm scheduled on Tuesday. Because Tuesday is the day of your surgery, but we're booking patients up till Monday afternoon. And there are certain cases, let's say a young child gets hurt and needs to have their uh, wrist fracture fixed. We're going to try to put that young kid first in the day. It's easier for the kid. It's safer for the kid. It's easier for the patient and the parent and the caregiver and everyone involved. We're going to move that person up if we can. Someone has diabetes. We've told them to hold their insulin or hold their diabetic medication. We need to get them back on that as soon as we can to keep their blood sugars in control. They're going to go earlier in the day. So you're a relatively healthy person with a, you know, no past medical history, ACL tear. We're going to bump you a little bit later because your body can handle that. Your health condition can handle that. We're going to move that diabetic person up earlier in the day. So thousand different scenarios that may come up, but that's why we wait until later in the day because oftentimes we're scheduling surgeries for patients we saw in clinic on Monday for, to go to the OR on Tuesday. So again, I know it's frustrating for a lot of patients because you're trying to, you know, schedule a ride and you have to have someone drive you away from the surgery center or the hospital when you're leaving because of post-anesthetic potential complications or influences. So I know you're trying to arrange all that and I get it. It's super frustrating. I've had surgery recently. Um, I was fortunate my wife could kind of arrange her schedule, but I get it. It's, it's challenging, but there's a reason behind that challenge. All right. Day of surgery. We tell you to be there at eight o'clock in the morning. You show up and they'll take you back to the pre-op room. So pre-operative before the surgery room, have you change into a gown um, or whatever is appropriate for that, that procedure. Usually it's a gown. Um, and you'll go into your little preoperative area. Sometimes it's a room, sometimes it's just a curtained off area. Um, but you will meet a preoperative nurse. They're going to review everything you just did. So it's going to be very, very repetitive and very monotonous for the patient. But everyone involved needs to check and make sure that we're not going to make a mistake. So they're going to ask you your name, your birth date. What are you here for? What procedure are they doing? Which side are they doing it on? Uh, review your past medical history, review your allergies, review your medications, uh, review all the things you've already done in that pre-op visit. They have a piece of paper that the surgical team has sent over to them. They're just double checking to make sure that there's not something that slips through the cracks. That could be, you know, obviously a big deal. We do your ACL reconstruction on the wrong side. We should know that unless you have two ACLs that are torn, but uh, things happen, right? So it's going to be asked several times throughout this process. But they'll review. The nurses are great. They do a great job. They're awesome people. Uh, they understand that they're part of this big system of getting you from point A to point Z. Uh, they're going to start an IV. You got to get poked with at least one needle that you're aware of. Once they get an IV started, we have access to give you fluids. We have access to give you medications that will act very quickly if they need to. Anesthesia can use your IV. If we needed to, we can draw blood off your IV to do some lab work, or in some cases, we draw blood and concentrate it and, and provide what's called a PRP, a platelet-rich plasma injection postoperatively. Um, there's lots of things we can do, but you, you need that first needle poke. So if you're afraid of needles, that's the one you have to be aware of. Once we get that in, we're golden. We can give you some medications to calm you down. We can make you happy, sad, you know, goofy, doc, whatever, whichever of the, the, the dwarves you want to be, we can do that. But uh, you have to get that first, that first needle poke. Typically, we're going to, again, orthopedics, we're going to shave the body part. Let's say we're going to do a knee surgery. We're going to shave mid-thigh uh, to mid-calf. Get all the hair off. Hair has the potential to hold bacteria. We want to get rid of all that. 
And then they're going to scrub that area. So we've ordered a special type of antiseptic scrub for them, the pre-op room nurses, to scrub your, your extremity. Some cases you would have taken some, some soap home with you from that pre-op visit or gotten it from the drugstore and used it two or three days prior to the procedure. Um, that's not unusual for us to do that. It's also not unusual for anesthesia to have you take some medications the night before or early, early, early the morning before your surgery. Um, some Tylenol, you know, a thousand milligrams of Tylenol or other medications. Sometimes there's a little cocktail of, of over-the-counter medications or sometimes they'll prescribe some, some medications to you depending on the procedure. So the nurse has got your IV. They've, they've shaved your, in this case, shaved uh, the leg. We've, we've scrubbed the leg. Uh, the surgical team should show up and talk to you. They're going to review the consent form the verbal and written consent or the permission form that goes through the procedure, risk, benefits, alternatives, why we're doing it, what we're doing, what you can expect, uh, what are we going to, you know, who's in the room with us, you know, all these different things. And then once you understand, you sign that form and then the, the rest of the team can act. But you need to give authorization for us to do that procedure once again in real time the day of surgery. Uh, that's a good time to ask questions. Um, you know, what's the PT look like I forgot, or how many times do I need to go, or what medications are you going to give me? Where are you going to send the medications? How do I get the medications? When do I start the medications? Those are questions that often are being asked in that preoperative visit. And oftentimes it's the caregiver that's getting those, asking those questions because they may have not been at that preoperative visit. Anesthesia will show up. In orthopedics, we use a lot of nerve blocks, which means we're going to block go closer to the spine than the surgical procedure. So on the knee, we're going to go uh, just at the groin level. There's either a femoral nerve or what we call an adductor nerve. There's other, a bunch of other nerves we can use there, but those are kind of the two common knee procedure nerves that we will give a little block. Uh, under or excuse me, under um, ultrasound vision, the anesthesiologist will find the nerve we're interested in blocking. Um, there's two functions to nerves, sensation and motor function. We typically block both initially, what we're really after is only the sensory nerve or component, but uh, they'll block that nerve by injecting medication that numbs the nerve going to that body part. They don't inject the nerve itself. They inject around the nerve and basically bathe that nerve in a medication that causes uh, the, the connection to, to not work any longer. So they can't send the signal down that nerve. Again, motor function uh, means you can't move. Uh, which is okay. We don't we don't care too much about that. We want it to come back, uh, but we really want to cause sensory deficit or, or decrease sensation in that body part. So in the preoperative room, the anesthesiologist and usually the nurse that you've already met and maybe another assistant will help give that nerve block uh, before you go back to the operating room. So same thing, the anesthesiologist is going to ask the same questions. What's your name? What's your birthday? What are we working on? Why are we doing it? Before they block your your nerve. <clears throat> Again, not everyone gets nerve block, but it's very common in shoulder, uh, elbow, hand, wrist, knee, ankle, foot procedures, very, very common. Um, so we haven't even got to the operating room yet, but one of the OR team will come and get you. Usually it's the circulating nurse. And a circulating nurse is in the operating room with us. They're not scrubbed in. They're not sterile. They're working out and doing paperwork or today's world, they're on the computer, uh, doing record keeping, keeping track of all sorts of things, uh, running to and from to grab, you know, maybe special instruments that we weren't sure we needed. They're ready for us. So go grab it, bring it back into the OR and open it up for the, for the, the other person in the room called the scrub tech or the scrub nurse who's actually sterile with the surgical team. Uh, they'll help them. Uh, but usually the circulating nurse will come and get you. They'll do what they call a timeout. So they'll share all that information between the team that's been working with you in the pre-op room, and now the operating room team. You'll go back to the OR. 
Uh, you're still typically awake, even though you have a block, you might be a little bit comfortable because of medication given you through your IV, uh, but you're typically awake and can help move over to the OR table. Once you're over there, uh, the surgical team takes over. So again, could be your surgeon, could be the PA, could be the athletic trainer, or the medical assistant, or the, the surgical assistant that's there with them, uh, and the circulating nurse, and the anesthesia team are all looking at you and where you're positioned on the table. Depending on the surgical procedure, we may have you laying flat on the bed. We may have you laying flat, and then we bring the, the bed down where your knee would bend, uh, what we call break the table, so we actually can bend and straighten your knee support the non-operative leg, but have the ability to move your surgical leg. Uh, we may, in, the, in a shoulder procedure, put you in what we call a beach chair position, uh, which is you kind of sitting upright. We may have you laying on your side in what we call lateral decubitus position. There's several different ways for total joints. There's a special table that we bring in there. We can put traction. We can move, you know, rotate and flex and extend and do all sorts of things to your leg if we needed to. So there's, there's certain tables, certain positions that you need to be in for each individual case. But the teams that are involved, the OR team, now now the anesthesia team, the, the uh, circulating nurse, and the surgical team, the PA, the physician, or the surgeon, and maybe a, the, you know someone else from their team, athletic trainer or scrub tech that are working with the team, are all going to check and make sure you don't have pressure on nerves that may cause problems, that we don't have any you know abnormal body positions because you're going to be laying there completely relaxed often sometimes paralyzed under anesthesia, and we want to make sure we don't create additional problems as we're trying to fix your surgical problem. Uh, so we're in the OR, uh, we get you positioned, anesthesia does their mag magic, and through your IV, or sometimes through the mask where you're breathing some gases, uh, you go to sleep. Not always do they put a breathing tube down your trachea, your windpipe. Sometimes they will put something to the back of your throat and inflate the edges of it. Um, uh, it's called an LMA. Uh, either way, they can can help you breathe if you need to be if you need help. Uh, oftentimes, you're breathing on your own. You're hooked to the anesthesia machine that's monitoring your breaths, your depth of your breath, uh, what you're breathing in and what you're breathing out. And sometimes it'll help you. Um, other times, you're breathing on your own. Just depends on the procedure and how deeply you need to be put under. That block you had in the pre-op room helps them use less general anesthetic than if you didn't have that block. So it's already giving you benefit. We usually talk about the benefits postoperatively, but in the surgical suite, it's actually helping you. So you get to sleep. We've already positioned you. Uh, now we have to you know, go out and scrub our hands. We come back in. There's someone already in the OR that's scrubbed in. We call them the scrub tech or the scrub nurse, uh, depending on their training. Uh, they're someone who's dedicated to that room uh, to help us with instrumentation and, and safety and, and just be a team member. Uh, but they work for the surgical center or the hospital itself. So now we're integrating teams. It's great if you have the same person, you get to know them, they get to know you. Um, it's like having you know, an extra set of hands that really knows the procedure quite well. Surgical team, surgeon, PA, athletic trainer, scrub tech, or, or scrub assistant, uh, whoever's there, part of the team goes out, gets their hands ready, or scrubbed up surgically uh, ready. We come back in in a sterile fashion, we get gowned, we get gloved, we get uh, back to, to the patient, and we drape out the patient, meaning we put sterile um, drapes, which, which are really paper, uh, very thick um, paper um, towels, uh, blankets, if you will. Um, but it really isolate out that surgical area. If, you're, if it's your knee, when we're doing surgery, everything else is covered with these surgical drapes except for your leg. If it's your shoulder, everything else is covered except for your, you know, from your kind of mid-sternum or, or shoulder out to your hands. Everything else is covered and behind the sterile drapes. So we can use that as um, a barrier between the real world and the surgical world. So the scrub tech and the, and the assistant 
or the surgeon will help get you, get you all, you know, draped out. Then we'll do the procedure. <laughs> Again, so all of this before we even start surgery. Uh, we'll do the procedure. We're working along. Everything's going great. We, you know, everything we thought we would need uh, to do is what we're doing. And then maybe there's a surprise. Let's say in the knee you have a small meniscus tear that the MRI didn't show that we feel like we need to repair. So oftentimes there's a represent- representative from the surgical um, company in the room with us. The reps are awesome. They know their technique. They know their their procedure of how to use their tools. And we'll say, hey, we need to put a suture in this in this meniscus. They, they jump into action, go get the instrumentation that the scrub tech needs to be able to assist us to do that repair. So they're in the room almost all day with us, depending on the cases. Uh, so they're also in the room. So the circulator's doing their paperwork. The reps, they're waiting to help us out and often kind of talking us through different part of the procedure. Um, if there's some unique component to it, they have great experience they can share with us. Say, like I saw this last week with another surgeon. This is how they addressed it. Maybe just a thought that you might want to consider. Not trying to change or convince the surgeon to change what they're going to do, but just an information source. The scrub tech and the, and the rep are working hand in hand on how do we do this? What are the steps for this? part of the procedure so they're ready to help the surgeon uh, and get the job done in the most efficient and effective way with safety first and outcome being excellent as a second. So we get through the whole procedure. Uh, We get the incisions closed. We put the dressings on. Uh, The surgeon typically leaves and will go dictate the note or go get ready for the next case. The uh, PA, maybe the PA and the athletic trainer, maybe the athletic trainer, depending on the team works, will get your dressings on and get your, in this case, get the brace on the knee. Uh, there's more paperwork to do. So oftentimes the PA goes over and records the exact procedure that was done, records any post immediate post-operative care. So we're writing medications, we're writing limitations on weight bearing in this case, maybe limitations on range of motion, when do we want them off crutches? When do we not need to have them see therapy? And when they see therapy, what can they do? And what they can, what can they not do in the therapy office at different timelines? Usually two weeks uh, is how I kind of map it out. Every two weeks, I'm going to change things, or maybe not um, change it. But every two weeks, I'm going to put map it out and say zero to two weight bearing, you know, toe touch only. Two to four uh, progress to thirty percent. Four to six, you know, weight bearing is tolerated. Something like that. Range of motion. Uh, no motion with the foot on the ground. As long as their foot's off the ground, they can bend their knee to 90 degrees for the first four weeks, or they can bend their knee fully. just depends specifically on what we did to that patient. So then you leave the operating room, and you go to the post-op recovery room, PAC, PACU, we call it, uh, post-anesthesia recovery room or care unit. Uh, and then there's another group of nurses there, totally different than the pre-op nurses typically, but you go to the recovery side of things. So another nursing team receives you. There's another handoff where they give your name, your birth date, the procedure that was done. Anesthesia is involved. They give the nurses an update. Hey, we give them gave them this medication, this dosage for this long. Uh, there's a block in. Um, or there's a block that we didn't dose yet. Sometimes we'll get a block ready to go and not give medication because we need to check the nerve function postoperatively. And then we'll tell the nurse and the postoperative anesthetic team, hey, as long as their foot and ankle are moving and everything looks to be intact, now let's give them the medication and that block to help their postoperative pain. So all these different variations that each individual patient we need to be really specific on. Uh, So again, I'm getting to the point that this is a really complex, really cool system that when it works, it works great. Uh, but there's many steps along the way and many people involved in your surgical procedure. So the handoff uh, to the PACU nurse, they're going to monitor your vitals. They're going to make sure you're waking up okay uh, and that you're breathing on your own and that you're coming out of the anesthesia okay. And they're going to monitor your pain level and try to control your immediate pain with some IV medication if they need to to get you you know, off to a good start. And they'll transition you to 
maybe a pain pill before you leave to see if there's any complications or, or side effects or you know, issues that may show up later uh, once you get home. Uh, physical therapy often is in that recovery room that in the PACU where they're going to come in and give you just a real quick, hey, for the next two or three days before you come to see us in the office, here's what you need to do. Don't touch your foot to the ground or just touch your toes to the ground or it's okay to bear weight fully or move your knee to you know, 30 degrees, but no further and go all the way straight. You know, they're going to have specifics from what the team's given them uh, from leaving the operating room immediately. Uh, and then finally, you're going to be have you know, kind of a discharge summary. So whoever your caregiver is, it's say your family member or your, uh, whoever's going to give you a ride home, they come into the, to that, uh, that PACU post anesthesia care unit, and they get the same information that you just got. All this is in written form. It's in verbal form. You have contact information of phone numbers, who to get a hold of, uh, but they also need to know, look, medications have been called into this prescription or given to the patient before. Here's the way it should be dosed. One or two tablets every four to six hours as needed for pain or, no, this is a one every 12-hour tablet or, you know, we have very specific, you know, outlines on the medications um, that as as per expectation of that surgical procedure and that patient's, um, you know, course of recovery. Um, And then finally, 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 um, Hopefully the surgical team has a chance to see you before you get out of there to answer any questions, uh, but you should be good to go. Everything should be wrapped up. You should know what happened, how things went, you, you know, what medications you need to take, when do you start physical therapy, what limitations do you have in the interim, um, and finally you get to leave, leave the, the surgical center. This whole process is started way back, you know, probably weeks before when you said, yeah, I think I'm going to have surgery on my knee. All of these steps to this process, and I missed, I skipped over a bunch. I'll just tell you that right now. Um, I skipped over, you know, quite a few just, you know, I don't say trivial, but less, you know, less significant portions of all this. Um, All of this starts when you decide to have surgery. And, you know, there's a whole other side of this with, you know, you talking with insurance companies and, and who's going to pay for my brace? And, you know, do I need an ice machine or do I need, you know, crutches or can I borrow crutches? There's a lot to surgery. Um, and that's one of the, that's kind of the purpose of this, that that student that was with us uh, did was blown away, honestly blown away by how this works, how this whole system works. And when it works, it works great. And when it doesn't work, we always have a backup. There's redundancy built into the system that, you know, hopefully we'll catch anything that may fall through that initial crack. We'll catch it on that second layer but there's a, a very complex system that the patients are jumping into uh, when they choose to have that surgical procedure, um, which is really cool. It's fun to be part of, and it's it's really exciting. And, you know, that's why a lot of people love the operating room, because you get to be part of a team uh, that's really all working to the same goal. Everybody, <clears throat> excuse me, from day one of the, you know, you, we sending in that, that request for surgery until you walk out that door, everybody involved, and there's probably – you know, 30 or 40 people sometimes that are involved. Everybody that's involved has one purpose in mind, and that's for you to have a great outcome and you'd have a successful surgery um, because their reputation and, and really their goal, that's their life, that's their 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 profession, that's their chosen, you know, path in life uh, is to get you, you know, back to, to recovery, back to full uh, or near as near full activity and function as you can get. So super cool process to be in. Uh, just thought I would review that. Hopefully that's uh, informative to you. And um Again, it's a little bit off the beaten path, but uh, we go where we go. So, as always, until we talk again, stay active, stay healthy, and do your best to put a smile on someone else's face. Talk to you later. See you. Hey, it's Mike here. I hope this episode is helping you out and answering some questions. 
if I'm not hitting every topic right on for you, if there's something specific that you have about your injury uh, or you want to discuss unique findings on the exam or your history, your MRI, your x-rays, whatever it might be, head to our website at h2orthopedics.com and scroll to the bottom for an opportunity to sign up for a virtual visit where we can either have a Zoom call, we can do a telephone call, whatever it might be, and we can discuss the specifics of your injury in more detail and hopefully get the answer you're looking for. Again, that's h2orthopedics.com. Scroll to the bottom for the virtual visit, and I will talk to you next.